introduction here in the podcast since I've already talked uh, quite a bit about Mather uh, in my introductory lecture before to kind of set the stage. Uh, I'm joined tonight and will be joined throughout the semester by Professor Heather Sullivan, also of the government department. Hello. I think I know some of you guys. Uh, Professor Sullivan, do you know anything about Cotton Mather? Um, Other than the many times that you've told uh, me and the other assorted people that you might contact or come in contact with about the inoculation. Controversy of 1721. Controversy. Yeah. We're not going to talk as much about that tonight. We'll talk about it a little bit, but so you don't really know. I don't know a lot, no. Do you know anything about the Puritans more generally? Um, I mean, a little bit. So you are coming to this with relatively fresh eyes. I am, yes. Great. I am probably not that different from you know, your students and, you know, when I attack this, uh, these quotes, I will not have seen them before. I will probably also not be totally familiar with the language and references. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I will do my best. There are some references that I'm even going to skip over. That's fine. All right. So go ahead and get started. We've got, probably we'll go through about 10 passages from the readings, uh, split evenly between the first two sections. And then we'll, time permitting, talk a little bit about the inoculation readings. All right. So the first quote that uh, Joel has selected here for us is from page 27. And it begins, Blessed martyr Constantine was carried with other martyrs in a dung cart unto the place of execution. He pleasantly said, Well, yet we are a precious odor to God and Christ. Though the Reformed churches in the American regions have, by very injurious representations of their brethren, all which they desire to forget and forgive, been many times thrown into a dung cart. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm already lost. Yet as they have been a precious odor to God in Christ, so I hope they will be a precious odor unto his people. And not only precious, but useful also. All right. When All the right. history of them shall come to be considered. All right. So, um, yeah, what do you... Um... I have no idea what's going on. So the martyr Constantine mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was um, carried in a dung cart to the place of execution. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the precious odor clearly is related to the fact that they're all riding in dung carts. Right. I would right. imagine. right. So what do you think what do you think Mather is saying here on any level? I mean there's a couple of levels that are happening there. So 
Then the next line is this, though the Reformed churches in the American regions, now that's the Puritans, Mm -hmm. the Reformed churches, have, by very injurious representations of their brethren, all of which they desire to forget and forgive, not sure about what's going on there, but many times thrown into the dung cart. So basically, like, we know what it's like to be thrown into the dung cart, both literally and metaphorically. Mm -hmm. Um, Yet, right there, they still sort of are precious to God. Mm-hmm. And so he hopes that they will also be precious and also useful, I think, to people here on earth in America. You want to try that again? What do you what do you think he's saying? What happened? Do we get cut off? No, no. Oh. Um, okay, what do I think he's saying? Yeah, I mean that was a little bit convoluted. Can you get it a little um Yeah. Okay. I, so I mean it's very don't get me wrong. It's very So I think basically he's like, look, we Puritans have always been shit on. Okay. And we continue to be. And in spite of that, we remain, or like maybe not just in spite of it, but maybe because of it, I don't know, but Mm -hmm. we remain like our sort of this precious odor to Christ is like even in this martyrdom and in this like being cast aside we still are, like, sort of special in some way, right? That we're mm-hmm. sort of still special in God's eyes, but then also hopefully in the world, it sounds like. Right, right. And now, do you remember going way back, probably the last time you thought about Constantine was <laughs> your world history class in high school about 30 years ago? Maybe, I don't know. Do you remember what Constantine, like, what the part, what it has to do with, their uh, the Mather's alignment with Constantine there. Do you remember Ma- Constantine at all? Oh my God, are you kidding? I can sing that it's Istanbul, not Constantinople. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Constantine was the first Roman emperor to convert to Christianity. Okay. And so Constantine is is um, I think seen as an important figure in spreading Christianity across Europe. Okay. Generally, right, and so there is in that alignment that alignment with. Constantine, right? Mather is aligning the Puritan oh, that's movement. The martyr, Constantine the martyr Constantine that we're talking about. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Right, and so there's this there's this attempt okay. to tie the Puritans. the Puritans to this older European. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I just was assuming the martyr Constantine was like someone no. you would have known if you were in the Americas. I understand better. No, you someone okay. you would have known if you were in Christendom. Right, 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 <laughs> right. right, right. Yes, makes gotcha. sense. Right, okay. so in a way, what what Mather is trying to say is like we are, we're like Constantine, we're like, we're like the first Christian right. Right. Roman emperor. Right. Like we are here at the beginning of this massive evangelical right. spreading. Spread. And, yeah. Right. Yeah, and of course we're cast aside, but we will go forth just as Constantine, bringing our precious odors, our though precious we be odor. flung in the dung heap. Yeah. Okay. Right. All right. So there's a sense of mission, but not just in a, not in an abstract sense. Right. Like the mission, the sense of mission and purpose with which the Puritans uh, brought themselves to the world and to the new, to what they called the new world or New England, was not an abstraction and not just a, a theological sense, but also. Uh, they they thought of themselves within a stream of history that they right. could name, right? right? Sure. Not just, yes, yes, yes. but like they had a 
a whole elaborate sense of of that history in a concrete set in a concrete way. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, religion is all about tradition, so. Indeed, indeed, it is. Kind of expect that. Indeed, it is. All right, so that's what that's the a lot of these first quotes are kind of establishing a little bit of the of how that evangelicalism gets talked about okay. and how the particular special mission of the of the Puritans gets talked about. All right. Okay? All right, so then Oh, we forgot that useful part. I think that's interesting. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. Right? Not only precious but useful. We don't just smell good. <laughs> or smell we, bad. We we also have something useful. Yeah. Okay. All right, so page 29. After all, he must sensibly acknowledge that the two short books of ecclesiastical history written by the evangelist Luke hath given us more glorious entertainments than all these voluminous historians if they were put all together. The achievements of one Paul particular right, of one Paul particularly, which that evangelist hath emblazoned, have more true glory in them than all the acts of those ex execrable mm -hmm. plunderers and murderers and irresistible banditti <laughs> good lord right. of the I'm sorry that you guys all had to made you read all this stuff <laughs> stuff of the world which have been dignified by the name of conquerors Tacitus counted uh, Tacitus counted ingentia bella expun don't worry about the Latin okay, just skip over Latin. The rages of war and the glorious violences whereof great warriors make a wretched ostentation to be the noblest matter for a historian. But there is a nobler, I humbly conceive, in the planting and forming of evangelical churches and the temptations, the corruptions, the afflictions which assault them and their salvations from those assaults and the exemplary lives of those that heaven employs to be patterns of holiness and usefulness upon earth. And unto such it is that I now invite my readers. Okay. So before this, before this line that I just had you read, okay. Mather has gone through and he's kind of made reference to and sort of skipped over like a speedboat all of these ancient Greek and Latin histories, right? Okay. And he's talked about Thucydides. He's talked about Herodotus. He's talked about Livy. He's talked about all of this classical learning that anyone educated in the 17th century would have learned. Right. And, and what he says here is, I mean, that's all well and good, but well, what does he say? Yeah, that's all well and good, but none of it even holds a candle to the Bible, basically. Not and just the Bible, though, right? What is he? Paul. But, but more than that, what, is he, what else do, what does he go on to say? So this text is an introduction to the history of the doings of the churches of New England. Okay. And so what he's saying here is, <laughs> I mean, kind of what he's saying here is, I'm going to tell you about a bunch of nobodies mm -hmm. that in the world of conquerors and the kinds of histories that you would have been accustomed to read if you oh, were a learned right. person are of no account. Okay. Because they're not the great men of history right. that history has bequeathed to us. They're homely, right. humble right. servants of God, and yet, he but says... But this is nobler than all those plunderers and murderers. You can learn... I, right. My text is going to be far more valuable and useful right. to the right. world 
because it's you know it, it's yeah. it's it's these acts of of people founding churches and right and it's maybe not war but the temptations the corruption the afflictions with assault them, no less drama like no less drama than mm-hmm. that of you know mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. the interior warriors. the inner wars of these right. people serving striving to you know create the kingdom of god on earth blah right. blah blah blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right got it, got so it. this is part of how he's kind of aggrandizing the mission but i think it's important I didn't have you read the part that's beforehand because it would have been like the entire page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but is to just acknowledge how much Mather sees himself, how much Mather is trying to place this mission in New England in this like right, historical, historical, grand historical terms. Of yes, like, yeah. yes, grand historical terms. Yeah, and he's also, I think, here demonstrating that. Uh, I mean, he's a learned dude. Right, sure. He's not, I mean, as I as I told my students, I think I mentioned this, I, I can't remember if I did. Uh, he started, uh, he came from a, a family of ministers, right? But mm-hmm. it, he started at Harvard College when it was kind of a podunk college at like age 14 and was done by age 16. Mm-hmm. And he was done basically by virtue of the fact that there were no books at Harvard Wait, that he, he had read hadn't read. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so this is someone who, I mean, I think he's partly at pains to remind readers of his own, I mean, he was kind of a vain guy. Sure, <laughs> right? sure. Well, um, and I mean, you feel like, like, I mean, part of the job of a minister is to establish authority. And, like, he's just doing that in a slightly different way in his writing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, like, using other tools of establishing authority that are probably less effective in the pulpit, but that he imagines more effective in... Whoever would be reading this among the literate people. This, right, because yeah. his congregation is probably not reading this. Probably only some. I mean, there are enough literate... The Puritans, Puritans. were a generally literate bunch. I mean, they were right. They were self-educated. I mean, I mean, the Puritan... Right. Puritan Bible study was an important feature of yeah, religious sure. descent. You know, I mean, that was a mm-hmm. lot of that was that was kind of how Puritans and um, certain other schismatic and de- de- dissenting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. religious groups kept alive their faith was through in-home Bible right, studies. Right, you know, right, these right. stories about Benjamin Franklin and the right. stool with the false oh, right. bottom. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, these yeah. stories. Yeah, from, I definitely know that story. Yes. Yeah. Um. Okay, should I keep going? Keep going. All right, page from page 30. Indeed, I have thought it my duty upon all accounts, and if it have proceeded unto the degree of a fault, there is, it may be, there is, it may be, something in my temper and nature that has betrayed me therein. To be more sparing and easy in thus mentioning of censurable things than in my other liberty. Boy, he is hard to parse. Okay, indeed I have thought it his duty, I'm going to skip that clause, to be more sparing and easy in thus mentioning of censurable things than in my other liberty. A writer of church history should, I know, be like the builder of the temple, one of the tribe of Nephthali, and for this I will also plead my polybius in my excuse. It is not the work of a historian to commemorate the vices and villainies of men, so much as they are just their fair, their honest actions. And the readers of history get more good by the objects of their emulation than of their indignation. Okay. All right, what do you get there? Skip the, I think, skip down. 
skip past the whole thing about Naphtali and Polybius. Okay. <laughs> All right, so then he says, it is, it is not the work of a historian to commemorate the vices and villainies of men so much as their just, their fair, their honest actions. And the readers of history get more good by the objects of their emulation than of their indignation. So oh. he is he is agreeing with that quote. Uh huh. Right. So what does that what does that tell you here? Well, he's gonna tell you about the presumably the good honest Puritans, not the sort of he's not gonna do a litany against their enemies, but raise up the exemplars of Puritanism. And also, I think there's a sense in which he, in his history, is emphasizing their strengths, and he's not going to spend too much time on their weak, their talking about their weaknesses. weaknesses. Sure. Right? I'm not going to... Okay. They're not... Right? They're imperfect people, uh-huh. naturally. Naturally. But is it more profitable and useful to learn about their good things right. or to dwell on their bad things? Right. No, I say <laughs> it's better that we would... Right. You know, follow, the follow emulate like, their good features, right? So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I think this is giving you a little bit of a sense. I, I want to tie this back to that, like, useful right. part, right? right that, right. like, there is a certain extent here to which Mather is, I mean, having to, of course, say, I know some of these people had foibles uh-huh. and right, peccadillos, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. but... Why dwell on that? <laughs> what good does it do to right. talk about how these people were bad and to dwell on their faults? We right. we should yeah. focus on the positive, yeah. right? We, don't, I we mean, don't do that these days very much. Yeah. Focus on the positive? <laughs> yeah. I'm you mean in our household? No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant in the public discourse. Yes, we have come a little bit away from... Well, I mean, I'm not sure, though. His public discourse might have also been doing the other since he had to make go to pains to... Well, just wait. Just wait till we uh, talk about someone who... just. I mean, <laughs> how well he lives up to it when he talks about Ian Hutchinson in just a minute. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. All right. So we're closing out the section. We're getting close to the end of the section. There's, this was a long part of the reading. Again, sorry to everyone. I'll say a little bit before we move on to the... Um, the next part. Move on to the next part. We have part. two more quotes, it looks like, before Kay. the break. Um, all right, so on page 35, he says, The greatest and fiercest rage of envy is that which I expect from those Idumians? Idumians? So Idumea was a region of, um, uh, well, what's now probably Israel. Okay. It, it, biblically. All right. So, it, I expect from those Idumeans whose religion is all ceremony and whose charity is more for them who deny the most essential things in the articles and homilies of the Church of England than for the most conscientious men in the world who manifest their being so by their descent in some little ceremony. Okay, wait a minute. Okay, so whose religion is all ceremony and whose charity is more for them who deny the most essential things in the articles and homilies of the Church of England than for the most conscientious men in the world who manifest their being so by their descent in some little ceremony. Or those persons whose hearts are notably expressed in those words used by one of them. I rather pity than hate Turk or infidel, for they are of the same metal, 
and bear the same stamp as I do, though the inscriptions differ. If I hate any, tis those schismatics that puzzle the sweet peace of our church, so that I could be content to see an Anabaptist go to hell on a brownist's back. <laughs> this is very challenging. What's challenging about it? What challenges okay. you about it? Um, might be helpful for students to hear what challenges you. Well, it's the writing is very hard to read. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, syntactically. Syntactically. There's yes. a lot of clauses and like kind of these weird asides. Yes. And so it makes, and the sentences are so very long. long. Very like, long. So long that by the time I'm at the end, I'm like, I don't even remember. I don't know what the subject is. I've lost complete mm -hmm. track of the subject. Mm -hmm. So as a note so, to you guys, when you're writing papers, don't ever write sentences that are this long because no one can follow We're no them. longer in the 17th century. Yeah, <laughs> which this may have been normal because I'm not even sure where a period occurs in this whole thing that it I may just not. read. It may not. I mean, this is what, what student, when I teach John Locke, also contemporary. Yeah, I think there's no period. That yeah. whole thing was one sentence mm -hmm. that I just read. So it's like very hard to parse, and there's quotes in it, and you're not totally sure who's talking sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I find that all very mm -hmm. challenging. It's very challenging. And I read a, a lot of challenging things. Books. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I read many yeah. things. Um, and then it's also challenging because. I don't actually know very well a lot of the references. Uh, you're not alone. So I don't know really what the Anabaptists are versus the Brownists, right? I don't, I've heard some of these terms Do you know before. what they used to call the Pilgrims of the Mayflower? Were they before? the Anabaptists? They were the Brownists. They were the Brownists. Yeah, they used to be called, um, I don't remember when it changed, but they would call the... Um, the pilgrims of, uh, they would call them, they came over on the Mayflower, they would call it, they used to call it the brownest migration. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So those kind of things are not things that I am familiar with. So that also makes it hard because. Say nothing of the Idumeans. Yeah, the Idumeans. I didn't know about the Idumeans. Yeah. Yeah. So then it's a little hard to like figure out what is happening. Partly, like I said, yes. I think I think actually more because of the syntactical, like the difficulty in parsing the sentence, than that I don't know who all the actors are. Yes, like, yeah, I think that's that right. Actually, that part is harder. I'm used. I'm to glad that you said that I... because I think that that's probably right. But then you could accidentally you could mistake what's hard about it being all of the references that you don't know. But in fact, I think it's the syntax I think it's that the makes it difficult. I'm actually pretty good at reading through things that I don't mm -hmm. understand all the references and still understanding the point when I'm reading more modern yes. language. And so I think it's actually the syntax that's tripping me up more than that I don't know who the right. those references are. So if you were to abstract all that and just put in you know, X's and Y's and whatever for all the references that you don't understand, what do you think Mather's saying there? So, I mean, it seems that he's against this idea that religion is all ceremony. I'm not sure exactly. Well, that's definitely what the Puritans were all about. So, like, They really were anti-ceremony. So that, that definitely, I can tell you from the very get, I've got that. Message, okay. Right? Okay, but remember this. Remember the whole context the here, though, is about their mission and their purpose, and okay, some so sense wait of. A minute. Okay. All right. 
Okay, so down with ceremony. That's the first part. Okay, down with ceremony. Um. So then, there's something now we're getting into the fact that these are dissenters, mm-hmm. right? And so that now we're talking about the dissenters who I think are who we are going to see as sort of the more noble, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever, the better people, right? Um, okay, so now he quotes presumably some dissenter. I rather pity than hate Turk or infidel, for they are of the same metal and bear the same same side of the instructions. So now he's like, basically, I love the Turk and the infidel. I love that the Turk and the infidel are like me and that they see that this church is garbage. But of course, mm-hmm. they're screwed because they believe the wrong thing. So I should pity okay. them because they're like me, but, you know, they're in trouble. Um. And if I hate any to this schismatics that puzzle the sweet peace of our church, that I don't know what he's. The schismatics, I assume, are the... Anabaptists, the Brownists. Yeah, just like the... And others. other dissenters, right? The mm-hmm. schismatics, yeah. So I think the reason that I put this here uh-huh. has nothing to do with Turk, infidel, Idumeans, Anabaptists, or Brownists as specific right. categories. Schisms. Um but to to help put in perspective that this was a group of people, the the Puritans whom Mather represented were one group among many Protestant dissenters. Mm-hmm. But also, so that Puritan society was not necessarily, um, well, early New England society was not necessarily quite so religiously homogenous mm-hmm. as we might have supposed, um, but also to give a sense of the kind of um, the kind of religious intolerance that right. is here, and I don't mean religious intolerance, and, and the religious intolerance is not uh, is specifically within all of these like bizarre Protestant micro sects. Right. I mean, he clearly thinks they're all going to hell. Yes. Right. I also got that. From yes. This, this passage. Yeah, and so I think what I'm what I what I want to demonstrate here is just the degree to which Mather reserves a great amount of uh hostility to uh other Protestants for disturbing the kind of like for disturbing the peace mm-hmm. of these churches of which the next section is a is a demonstration of precisely the kind of um religious orthodoxy that is demanded of this group that exists in descent to right, right. the larger Anglican communion. Right. Right. Now, they think of themselves... As fighting a battle against Catholicism, which they view as the Antichrist? Yes. <laughs> well, but how... <laughs> So how do they see themselves, though, in relationship to the Church of England, which is not Catholic, right? Right. So they see themselves in relationship to the Church of England as preserving the true church while the Church of England is going through a tumultuous time of conflict, right? So this is happening. This is happening. The, the, the migration of Mather and his group is happening while a lot of the religious conflict and political conflict that underlies 
the English Civil War is starting to bubble up. Okay. And so these Puritans see themselves as like the true church. Having having escaped with the shards of the true, true church, church intact. Right. But then there's these like jerks that like Anabaptists also and Brownists to think that they're the true church. You got right. it. So, <laughs> so screw those other guys that think they're it's the not true the real church. true church. Right. But so so yes. And if so, they would just buzz off, then like we could just be the real true church. But yeah, I want to. I, I think that it's important to give a sense of like the sheer diversity right. and animosity among all of these Protestant sects right. within this period. That yeah. that's the bottom line, and that each of the, gotcha. that Mather, of course, is not alone in thinking that this group of Puritans in Boston is the true church. No, right, right yeah. So lots and lots of, yeah, religious contestation yeah. among a fairly small, Very narrow, narrow segment yeah, of Protestants. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So that's the main, that's the main, the main gist is I think partly, partly why I like to emphasize this and why I emphasize this at the end of that section is that Mather has placed himself in this like giant world historical schema. Right. right. Okay. From Constantine, right. from Thucydides to Constantine, yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. And yet what we're talking about, the real battle right. that he's talking about, right. is really between like all of this really narrow, right. <laughs> narrow group of right. Protestants. Right. Okay, so he conceives of that as being of this right. world, historical world historical proportions when it, what it really amounts to is like Anabaptists and Congregationalists. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. that's all. That's all. Is that the that that in a sense the world that he's apprehending is still really narrow. Right. Right. Okay. That's it. All right. So the last one from this section that I have is from page thirty-seven. I shall count that I am well rewarded in it, if I can escape without being heavily reproached, censured, and condemned for what, for what I have done. So I thank the Lord. I should exceedingly scorn all such mean considerations. I seek not out for benefactors to whom these labors may be dedicated. There is one to whom all is due. From him I shall have a recompense. And what recompense? Is it nice to keep going? Uh, the recompense doesn't, but the recompense whereof I do with inexpressible joy assure myself is this, that these poor labors will certainly serve the churches and interests of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, I'm sure there's going to be haters, uh-huh. and right. I hope I get out. I hope I. I hope I am able to, to get this work done, without being overcome by haters. Right. But uh, you know, and if I do, then my just reward is knowing that I've done something in service to God. Yeah. Right. All right. So I mean, this is partly the. I mean, obviously, Puritan piety is no great secret here um but i want to as um as we close out this section right i mean mather and all of these puritans were people who saw very clearly they saw signs of god working in the world they saw sign they saw it in in their all the time right mather was someone who would if he if he had a toothache he was pretty sure it was because he had spoken poorly, right? Like he was someone mm-hmm, who believed mm-hmm, that like, mm-hmm. well, 
my tooth hurts, it must be because of some prideful or some deceptive or something. Somehow I have sinned with my mouth, mm -hmm. therefore mm -hmm. my tooth hurts, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So the, the degree of enchantment of the world is, is high, right? Uh -huh. And um, I mean, I'm sure you got a sense of that, but right, I'm, I guess partly here, just keep in mind that when these people are talking about this and when they're using this kind of language, it's not just um, ornamentation that uh, like an ordinary right, minister right, might right. use, but is like a, a genuine belief, right? Like right. these aren't in these aren't in in Mather's sermons when he's talking about like, well, my I had a toothache today. I must have like it's in his journal or whatever. yeah, it's in his journal. Like yeah, he really this is this is genuine yeah, yeah. belief. All right, so that rounds out the introduction to this like two volume history thousands of pages, like a thousand pages mm -hmm. of history. Um, the first volume of which is like biographical sketches of Puritans in his church. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Right. I mean, and the second volume is but like, only the good stuff. Yeah. Only the good stuff about them. Of course. <laughs> the second volume is, um, is a little bit more of like the challenges and tribulations, the miracles that happened. There's some stuff about their relationship with indigenous people. Um, the the chapter I assigned from this for us is about a particular schism in the church, and part of how part of what I wanted us to read this for was to think about how this how this um, group of uh, how this religious group kind of kept obedience, right? Because oh, nice. because the the conflict for Puritans is of course that I mean the Puritan. The whole, whole of all of Protestantism in general is about an unmediated relationship with God. Right. Yes. Right. And then it's hard to generate obedience uh, to the worldly, right? Right. Yeah. Like, how mm -hmm. do you get that in the world, right? If everyone's like, "Well, God told me to do this." Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, God said, "I don't have to listen to you." God talked to me directly. Right. Because that's what we believe as Protestants. Right. right. So, this is a problem for Puritans, right? And right. it's and it's a problem because, as you know. Um, I mean, the church was one of the main sources of keeping worldly order. Right, yeah. Right. It's the main source of social control. Right, and especially when you're talking about 17th century New England. Oh, yeah. There's not real. I mean, there is a general court. Right, sure. Right, but the general court, as it happens, really um, seems to serve the church rather than the other way uh -huh. around. right. Right. Yeah. So this section is about a, a, a special moment of dissent that some people might have learned about called the antinomian controversy. Uh -huh, some right. people learn about it in high school. Some people don't. My um, guess is if you're from Massachusetts, it's more common than if you were from North Carolina, for mm -hmm. example. Certainly if you're from Oklahoma, you didn't fucking learn yeah. about it. Let me tell <laughs> yeah. you. <laughs> History starts in 1889, people, with the land run. All right. Um, so this section, <laughs> this section is coming from Cotton Mather's account of the antinomian controversy. And now Cotton Mather, you should know, um, is the maternal grandson of one of the people featured in here, the Reverend John Cotton. Okay. Um, and Cotton Mather is certainly on the side of order rather than disorder. Okay. Okay. That's All right. that's enough preface for you. So from page five oh nine, they drove at this. Aren't you glad we skipped so much of it? <laughs> yeah, we got five hundred pages. 
I'll move to fast forward 500 pages. Okay. They drove at this, that the most virtuous man upon earth might not be admitted into the churches without professing that, renouncing of sanctification as the evidence of his good state. He waited for immediate revelations to assure him of it. And such as were already in church communion, unless they become fond of the new lights in this thing pretended unto, were presently branded as favoring a covenant of grace. Okay. Okay. So the they in that first part is the group of religious dissenters. Okay. And what they believed was was what? That the most virtuous man upon earth might not be admitted into the churches. Yes. Without professing that, renouncing of sanctification as the evidence of his good state. He waited for immediate revelations to assure him of it. Right. So so what they were what this group of religious dissenters was arguing against was the idea that you had to was the idea that there were any real worldly signs of uh-huh. your okay. being among the elect. Okay. And that in fact it was revealed to you if you were or not directly right. from God. Right. Because that's like the most hardcore Protestantism imaginable. Right, yeah. You got your immediate revelation to assure you. Your immediate revelation to assure you. And everything else, the idea that we would know we would know a true saved Christian by some of their behavior mm-hmm. is really blasphemy. Right. Uh-huh. Fun. Okay. So yeah. that's what that's that is the theological terms of, of conflict here. Uh-huh. Now you'll get to he, see. So it's not just a conflict of ideas, though. It'll come become a little bit more clear that yeah. there's a little bit oh, more. Oh, well, you going can on. already see that this is going to be a problem. I mean, I don't have to see anything else, and I can tell you that the minister is going to be like. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Keep going. Okay. Was it still on page five hundred nine? They begin usually to seduce women into their notions. <laughs> oh. Hmm. hmm. Go figure. You don't say. And by these women, like their first mother, they soon hooked in the husbands also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They set themselves with a manifold s- subtlety? Subtle, subtlety. Subtlety, but it's just yeah. a little. 17th to undermine what? Uh, 17th century spelling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with a manifold subtlety to undermine the esteem of the ministers, don't say, and intimate that their teachers themselves, never having been taught of God, had mistaught and misled the people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they come down with the ladies. So a bunch of women have decided that they know better than the minister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they, can, they bewitched their husbands. And they bewitched their husbands. Indeed. That. Indeed. Uh-huh. So there is a there are some theological stakes here, but if you're confused as to how the theological stakes really are um, so great, this this passage might help clarify some of the uh, more concrete political stakes. Yes, does that make sense? We need obedient women. Well, obedient everyone, and especially, especially these women. We need obedient women. All right. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Page five ten. The general court called the general court called a synod of the all general court. By the way, is the secular authority. Okay. Called so the general court 
Call is a... calling a synod. Do you know what a synod is? Uh, I Can you tell from context? Luther, I know that the Lutheran churches are called synods, but I guess it's a meeting. It's a it's a it's a church council, uh-huh. uh, and it's in its most ancient sense, it's a it's a gathering of church leadership and hierarchy to decide a doctrinal matter. But in this instance, it refers to like the group of of church leaders getting together. Right. Okay. So the general court called for the church leaders to get together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I just want you to see the way yeah. the state church relationship is going here. Okay. So the court called the synod. In 1637. In preparation, whereunto there were three things attended. One was a solemn fast, kept in all the churches, for the good success of the approaching synod. So the general court calls a fast, right, for everyone to, and, and during these times of fast, you would go to, you would go to church. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the, so the general the court. The general court is like, oh my God, the ladies are going to revolt. <laughs> There's a lot Please of... Please fast, everyone. It's Things are getting tense. Let's everyone take a chill pill. Let's take a fast. Everyone go to church so the minister can, can keep you in line. Can keep you in line. Okay. okay. So we're fasting. Another was a collection of all the erroneous and offensive opinions, which called for the disquisitions that might extinguish them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so speak your mind. Let's figure out what bad things are being said around here. So that we might extinguish them. Yes. A third was a conference with Mr. Cotton about any positions or expressions of his that might have countenanced any of those opinions. So you, so the background of this is that John Cotton, Cotton Mather's maternal grandfather, mm-hmm. I'll have you know, and his namesake, mm-hmm. okay, is... Um, Kind of in line with, like, Hutchinson really likes Cotton's sermons and likes... Mm-hmm. So Cotton, John Cotton, is like assistant minister at the church. Mm-hmm. And he preaches things that are slightly different. The The parishioners are able to very quickly detect a theological difference between the head minister, John Wilson, mm-hmm. and second-in-command, John Cotton. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people like John Cotton mm-hmm. more than they like John mm-hmm. Wilson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, again, remember, Cotton Mather's history is, is going to talk about the good things about people. Mm-hmm. Okay? And here he's got his grandfather. Mm-hmm. He's got to somehow figure out how to talk about this story and keep his grandfather a, a, a worthwhile mm-hmm. um, role model. Mm-hmm. <laughs> despite the odd role that he plays in this. I mean, Cotton ends up, it's not super important. We'll, we'll get there in, in, in a little bit. But I just sort of want to point out the way in which Cotton, the, the, the part that I had you read at the beginning is kind of playing out in this mm-hmm. okay. section. All right. Okay. Page 515. It had been a custom in many congregations that the ministers allowed their people the liberty still after sermon to propose what questions they thought fit for their further satisfaction about any points which had been delivered. Sounds very good. Yes, so they would have... They critical would, conversations. Critical about conversations about theological matters in the great Puritan tradition. That's great. Which liberty was oftentimes made an occasion of much contention, vexation, and folly mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. the assemblies. Mm-hmm. But this custom now... 
underwent the condemnations of the synod. So the synod said, uh-uh, uh-uh, no stop more. that. <laughs> no more critical thought, y'all. Cut it out. Okay. Isn't so this funny? This is awesome. I Isn't this hilarious? This. I love it. I love it. This is all just like, because the women are like, fuck y'all. It's great. Hutchinson was a midwife. Mm-hmm. Yes, she was. <laughs> <laughs> All right, page 517. All right, so she, is this Hutchinson? Mm, I believe so. All right, she Keep set reading. up weekly yes, meetings. Yes, it's at, Hutchinson. Okay, so Hutchinson set up weekly meetings at her house where to three score or four score people would resort, that they might hear the sermons of Mr. Cotton repeated, but in such a sort that after the repetition, she would make her explicatory and applicatory declamations, wherein what she confirmed of the sermons must be canonical, but what she omitted, all apocrypha. Mm-hmm. So she was having Bible study in her house after church, mm-hmm. right? She would invite people over to have Bible study at her house. Mm-hmm. It got so crazy <laughs> that there were like 80 people showing up <laughs> to her house because she was, it turns out she was probably quite charismatic. Charismatic, obviously, yeah. And, um, and she would sort of interpret the sermon mm-hmm. for everyone. Right. Like now, so do. this is, to me, this is, like, so fascinating, right? The layers of, the layers of interpretation. And, and I guess there's the part of me that is, like, always kind of confused about what's going on. Because it's kind of like, I mean, do they really think, I don't know, like, uh, I guess there's a couple things happening, right? So one of the reasons that the Puritans are all the Puritans is that they, unlike the um, unlike the church, the high church, mm-hmm. the Puritans thought of themselves as like very populist. Like right. Richard Mather, Cotton Cotton Mather's grandfather, paternal grandfather, was essentially exiled from England because he refused to like have these really highfalutin mm-hmm. masses. Mm-hmm. That he had like a very plain spoken humble, mm-hmm. of-the-people mass, right? Mm-hmm. So he gets exiled to Massachusetts Bay, okay? So the Puritans are not exactly like these masters of opacity mm-hmm. in their theology. And so the idea that, <laughs> I guess there's a part of me that's like, the idea that then you would have to like have the sermon explicated for you afterward at the at, at Anne Hutchinson's house. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to drive at here is like, I, I don't know exactly what I mean here other than the degree to which all organized social life is happening through the church. Right, but I guess like, okay, so first of all, are all the, I mean like four score people, like are they really all at the first sermon? I sort of assumed that these people... Skipped church and just went to Anne Hutchinson's? Or weren't a part of that church... And we're coming to hear the word from Ann Hutchinson, or like that would have been a, a good lot question. of people in a church. Like not every single person in the church. I mean, I mean, eighty people is a lot of. It's a lot of people. These aren't big cities that we're talking about with like giant megachurches, right? Right. No, I mean Boston and what is it, sixteen thirty-seven? Let's look at the population oh, of Boston. In Boston. Yeah, I think so. Let's look at the population of, of Boston, 1637. Oh, yeah, right, well, I don't know. The churches in the country to meet at Cambridge, I don't know where they are. Maybe they are in Boston. They're in Boston. 
Well, still, I that is a lot of people. It's unclear to me that they were all at church. I don't know, but they said hear them repeated, so I yeah. guess maybe they were at church. Yeah, they were all there. They were all in church. You know? I mean, yes, life all revolves around the church. I guess that doesn't seem as weird to me. That if you, like... Okay, so given, I guess, that social life revolves around the church, and you don't have much else going on. Mm -hmm. But if we turned this into... (laughs) Students are going to be like, this doesn't ever happen, what are you talking about? But, like, if there was, like, an amazing lecture on campus... Right. Right? That was, like... Like, really, like, inspiring or whatever. I guess you're right. I guess you're right. right. Okay, okay. Then you would be, like, get together with your friends and, like, rehash... Your favorite parts. Your favorite parts just doesn't seem to be, like, that strange. I feel you. Um, I feel you. And so... But, okay, so that's part A. All right. One. Part part one. It doesn't seem crazy to me that you would get together to re-talk about the shit that you thought was good. From, you know. But part two is like maybe there's like four score people that are actually interested in seeing a woman preach. Maybe, maybe there are. And maybe when a woman preaches, it's a little different. It's a little different. And like maybe when a woman preaches what's already maybe a slightly radical sermon, it's an even more radical sermon because now a woman is preaching it. And so this idea that like, yeah, like when she's like, what her ex- explicatory and applicatory declamations, right? I mean, this is like Hutchinson's mm-hmm. hot takes mm-hmm. on probably not just the sermon, but like how that applies to life in Boston at this time or like mm-hmm. whatever, right? I mean, I don't know. He doesn't tell us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mm-hmm. she's highlighting the parts that she thought, right? I mean, and, it's clear. And the message, and the the message that's coming here, right, is that you don't have to be an appro- you don't have to live in an approved way approved by the church <clears throat> to be someone who you to be among the elect uh-huh right the message is one of radical inclusion as right. well right potentially right potentially radical inclusion right and it's certainly one of saying that the minister isn't the one to tell you whether you are Saved right. or damned, right? right? So in that sense, it is like rigorously anti-ministerial. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, there may be a lot of people there in that fourth score who are also worried about their own salvation. There might be. And want a message of more hope for their own yeah. soul. Yeah. You know? Truly, truly. Like, that don't want to spend eternity in hellfire and whatever, you know? Many of the people who went, I mean, so this is like how some people interpret it. I don't want to go too much into this. It's not super important. Um, but it is fascinating. One, some interpretations of the antinomian controversy is that she was particularly appealing to a kind of mercantile 
and commercial class that in, in a certain way, not exactly prosperity gospel, but she was in a certain way providing exactly that kind of message of hope and comfort to people whose lives were largely about worldly pursuits rather than spiritual ones. Yeah, right? So you're like, so shit, not like just, I'm like not, out here but, <laughs> making the bling. And like. Yeah, exactly. Not that she's like taking in the prostitute and the outcast, right, right, but that she's right. like Actually, providing a kind of like message like, that's kind of like green light, <laughs> keep doing what you're doing. Away, and all you got to do funny. is at the end of the day say, God told me God I'm good. Told me I'm cool. All right. Cool, cool. That's very funny. That Now, these are some interpretations. I'm not a scholar of of yeah, Puritan yeah, theology, sure. so I'm just telling you what's out there. I think it's amazing anyway, whatever she's doing. It's it's quite amazing now. Maybe. Now things are getting a little bit weird here okay. because what Mather has been unable to restrain himself from, from um, I mean, he's been pretty good here. I've highlighted the passages. There are just a, a few passages that talk about the sort of um, woman question in this, but now we're getting to the end and he's like, off the rails. He's off the rails. Okay. I'm, off I'm the ready. rails. All right, we think we're gonna get some indigenous people, maybe too. I see the word Indians popping out, but maybe it's the uh, I don't know which Indians. Okay, but the court put an end to her vaporing talk, and finding no hope of reclaiming her from her scandalous, dangerous, and enchanting extravagancies, ordered her to depart out of the colony. So, okay, the general court again. The yes, general court is the secular authority. The general Ex court does not want women being whoever she's... Exiles you know. someone for religious reasons. Yeah. Okay. Just so she went first to Rhode Island, but not liking to stay there, she removed her family onto a Dutch plantation called Hebgate. She's well, really in the Bronx. What's now the Bronx? <laughs> where within a little while, the Indians treacherously and barbarously murdered them. Who the... Her? No. Yeah, so her then, and her family. Yeah. Oh, crazy. So the first went to Rhode Island. She had some trouble in Rhode Island. It persons. wasn't. It wasn't quite. You know, um, all it was cracked up to be. So she went further into into the Dutch. And then the Native region. Americans slaughtered them in the Bronx. Yeah, it's amazing. Isn't that awesome? Made an end of scarce any but her family among all the neighbor nations. That is such a wild story. It's great, isn't it? Oh my God, it's amazing. It's great. It's great stuff. Great stuff. All right, so to end on page 519. The erroneous gentlewoman herself, convic convicted of holding about 30 monstrous opinions. <laughs> That's it. You're guilty of 30 monstrous opinions. Growing big with child. Wait, is this Anne Hutchinson? Mm -hmm. And at length, coming to her time of travail, was delivered of about 30 monstrous births at once. <laughs> what? Whereof some were bigger, some were lesser. Of several figures, few of any perfect, none of any hum humane shape. This was a thing generally went then asserted and believed. Whereas by some that were eyewitnesses, it is affirmed that these were no more monstrous births than what it is frequent for women laboring with false conceptions to produce. False conceptions, he means in a medical sense. So... What he's saying here, though, that I think is kind of interesting, is that he is, in fact, he is relatively. It's relatively. Um, there's another uh, another Quaker dissenter, Mary Dyer, um, who who gave birth to an encephalic, uh, had an encephalic uh -huh. birth. Okay, and it was, as you can tell here, <clears throat> sort of widely viewed. That these miscarriages or birth defects or whatever right. whatever you would yeah. call them um, were 
the product of their kind of blasphemy. Right, right? Sure, that they were. Obviously. I mean, if a toothache is going to do it, clearly exactly. this woman's exactly. birth is definitely going to be. Exactly, right? And so, so and essentially what Mather is saying is like, see, right. she must have been a witch. Right. Right? Like, yeah. look at these monstrous things that have issued from her womb. Right, yeah, yeah. Right? And... Um, <laughs> well, it's also just ludicrous of the fact that she's like... She 30 opinions, 30, so there must have been 30. 30 births. You can read about this on Wikipedia if you want um, the the particular... Anne, Anne Hutchinson's sort of final miscarriages has got its own like section in Wikipedia, which is, <laughs> I think, astounding. Oh, my God. First of all, that, that exists. It's insane. Um but this just sort of emphasize. I just want to emphasize the point here that whatever theological gloss is being put on this, we need to remember the concrete scenario here, which is like really about the suppression of women's theological leadership. authority and leadership. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, and God knows if women get to talk directly to God, then scary what the times, hell right? Is going to happen to the authority their husbands hold and wield over them? Scary yeah. thoughts, right? Scary thoughts. Um, so you had following this, we won't have too much time to go into it. We had following this, a group of, um, of inoculation pamphlets and pro and anti inoculation pamphlets from 1721. So 1721 is approximately, um, it's like 90 years after the events described in the antinomian controversy. The really important thing to take away from that, that I think is, is fascinating that I hope you see and sorry, uh, Heather, that you don't have any of these things in front of you is just the massive decline of ministerial authority um, in those 90 years, in those intervening 90 years. You could have people, uh, those documents that, you're, that you read where, where you see some of those anti-inoculation letters taking aim at ministers and talking in, for 1721 terms, extremely harsh terms. Interesting. Of like, you dummy. How could you, like, right. this guy, you know, Reverend John Williams is, like, writing in here, but he's a dummy, right? Wild, and yeah. I think I think that the reason I, I mean, it's obviously interesting to read about another pandemic or another plague in a time when we're living through one. Yes. Obviously interesting to read about conflict over vaccinations, right, uh, in a time when, I mean, that's what we live with right now. Um but thinking about it in context of the other readings is just how how rapidly ministerial authority collapses, right? Mm -hmm. So that in this period, in 1637, you can have the general court right. exile someone for questioning ministerial authority. And by 1721, you can have a robust public culture mm -hmm. where the most popular newspapers are insulting, mm -hmm. like with satire and wit, insulting the ministers, mm -hmm. right? Including Cotton Mather, and the most prominent ones, right? So to me, it's, it just is an interesting demonstration of how the attempts to contain dissent against the religious order are just like mm -hmm. ultimately futile, right? right? right. Um, and then the other twist, of course, that makes it even more fun is that the, the, pro -vax, the pro vaccine side is the ministers right <laughs> rather than yeah, yeah. The, the scientists the, well if not scientists the yeah yeah the forces of i mean those documents are kind of interesting um uh, in in this way in 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 that the um they're still arguing some of them are still arguing within a kind of theological frame although the the one that's not necessarily theological is like i don't understand like 
Medicine is for sick people, <laughs> not for people that are well. <laughs> it's one of the uh -huh. anti-vaccine arguments. It's uh -huh. like, why would you make someone who's well sick? sick? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, it would have been pretty confusing, I guess, at the time. And apparently, still? Still. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't want to go too far into that because we've been going for quite a while. But right. So that is the overview of, of, the, of the Puritans. The, the main get down from that, the main takeaways, excuse me, the main takeaways from that are all about the relationship between church and state that we described in the antinomian controversy or, or the fusion of church and state, if you will. And then the particular kind of sense of mission that was established and the, 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 sense, of, the sense that Mather brings to it of this like large world historical Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. And I hope we'll actually return to some of these themes, you know, in my view, we'll return to many of these themes over and over again from various traditions um, uh, and various other kinds of ideologies. We'll partake of some of the same kind of symbolic uh, uh, imagery that, that the Puritans deploy here. Um, that's all for, for this. I'll be talking with, with all of you on Wednesday and Friday where we can go over some passages that you didn't, uh, that we didn't go over tonight and, um, look forward to further conversation with you. Have a good one.
inside my heart again. 